Welcome to Leadership Web, a podcast series from the University of Arkansas that exposes listeners to a wide range of perspectives on leadership. Through interviews with current leaders, Leadership Web strives to provide tools for you to either begin building your own or continue improving your existing leadership framework. We believe that there is no one single path to successful leadership, but that we can all learn from each other on our own leadership journeys. Today, we're joined by Jessica Hendricks, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Saatchi and Saatchi X. Her top five leadership values are learning, authenticity, humor, balance, and service. Today, we have with us Jessica Hendricks, the President and CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi X. You've been with Saatchi since July 2010, right? That's correct. A long time. And you've been uh, President and CEO for four years? Yes, just about four years. Would you mind starting by just talking a little bit about what Saatchi and Saatchi X does and maybe a little bit about the size and locations sure. and things like that. Sure. My favorite thing, of course, about Saatchi is spelling it for people because it's it's a, it's a little bit of a mouthful when you talk about it. But Saatchi and Saatchi X is the company within the Saatchi and Saatchi network that focuses specifically on commerce and shopper marketing. And I use both of those terms, I think, in tandem with each other because We see a lot of clients who are at a different point in their continuum of their journey with how they are thinking about engaging in buying activity. And for some, they really look at it as true omni-channel that stretches and connects from physical to digital to really thinking about even direct-to-consumer, which I think is definitely a new space that we're exploring, to some of our clients who may be more primarily focused on the physical environment as, as they move along in their journey. And so what we do is we partner with clients, depending upon where they're at in that journey, to really understand what they are trying to accomplish at a brand level, and then drive from brand awareness to conversion to purchase. And we do that by by really trying to understand what's the behavior we're trying to change. And so if someone is constantly getting online grocery pickup and we need them to try a new product, we're going to have to reach them in a very specific way if we want to try to get that product added to their basket. Or if we know that someone shops at a particular retailer, we may need to change their behavior to go to a different retailer to pick up a product. So it's really about partnering with companies uh, to try to change that behavior and drive the highest conversion. I know Saatchi and Saatchi X started in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Yes. Do you have more than that location? We do. So we started in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and it's a great journey of the spirit of entrepreneurship partnering to solve a business challenge and creating a company that met that need. You know, Andy Murray, who partnered with Procter & Gamble on what a customer team need was, which is ultimately I've got to create a different story for Walmart that might be different than what the brand is trying to accomplish. Uh, Partnered with Procter and, and essentially created shopper marketing. We also have a office in Cincinnati where we partner with Procter as well. We also support our Essilor clients out of that office. And then Wendy's, we have had Wendy's as our client for 10 years. And anything that you see in restaurant, 
or in drive-through, we create and partner with them to drive behavior change uh, in an in-restaurant or in a drive-through environment. And so the same principles apply. You're just, uh, it's different than buying laundry detergent versus a Baconator. I prefer the Baconator. (laughs) (laughs) How many employees do you have now? We will be around 200 at the end of the year. About 120 of those will be here in Northwest Arkansas, and then we'll have the balance will be either in Cincinnati, Columbus. And then we actually have a couple folks in Hoboken, in San Bruno, and then also in Dallas to support uh, either the dot-com needs that we have for our clients or other client needs. You told us about your five leadership values. I'd like to start with a slightly different topic, and that is Being a good leader requires the ability to mentor, Mm -hmm. but you really enjoy mentoring. That's like one of the most enjoyable things about your job. Mm -hmm. Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to, and I know we'll we'll jump into this, but services is one of my core values, and I view mentorship as service to those that I have the opportunity to connect with, and. One of the things that I think has been interesting for me on the journey that I've been on is, you know, at some point you have that moment where you really dig into, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why is it important to me? Why do I invest the time and the energy and the effort that I do in it? And that's one of the conversations that I've had most frequently with people is really digging into why they put the effort and the energy that they put in to their day-to-day and allowing them to really focus on those areas that they love, they have passion for. I'm definitely of the mindset that you can spend a lot of time and effort uh, trying to overcome your weaknesses, but you will be much more successful focusing on what your strengths are. And so oftentimes it's really getting people to a place of what are your strengths? How do you exploit them? Is this the right role for you to utilize those strengths? And how do they drive revenue for our business so that we we all succeed? And to me, you know, those conversations around your why, how you can help your business succeed, uh, how you focus on your strengths, those things are all related. But yeah, I, I have a pretty strong passion for mentoring people and and really helping them peel back some of those those layers yeah this concept of focusing on strengths Mm -hmm. is really interesting Mm -hmm. and you see it come up in so many different areas of life Mm -hmm. it seems like there's a tendency when we think about feedback to focus more on the negatives here's where you need to improve But actually, you get more, as you said, bang for your buck by focusing on the strengths. Mm -hmm. And it encourages people more, too. It it does. And and it's funny. You know, I have a seven and a nine-year-old. And I find myself doing this. I'm focusing on their weaknesses or their areas of improvement. You know, I'm scanning their report card, not for the the positives, but for the negatives. And I I use that analogy when I'm talking to leaders about some of their their team members, which is instead of scanning for what that individual isn't doing right, 
focus on what they are doing right. We, we actually celebrate bright spots as a part of our agency, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story. There's a great article in Fast Company about a doctor that was brought into a Vietnamese village to help them solve high infant uh, death rates and, and some nutritional challenges that they were having. And when he came into the country, he immediately asked, well, what areas are you not seeing this issue? They said, well, this village, this village, this village. And so the first thing he did is went to those villages and started replicating all of the things that they were doing that allowed their children to thrive, that allowed the economic engine to grow. And then he took that and took it to the villages that weren't thriving and said, this is what we need to implement. I use that analogy for people's strengths, which is in some cases you have to say, all right, we'll take your strengths and then how do you apply those in the areas that allow you to do your role here at your highest and best level? And Multipliers is one of my favorite books. I don't know if you've, if you've read that one, but it's by Liz Wiseman. Learning is also one of my, my values and I, I read a lot. Her whole concept is um, this idea of celebrating people's strengths to multiply success and growth within an organization, and I think there's a significant value for leadership. I'll read it. It's a good one. So that's interesting how you've been talking so far about holding on to your strengths, how do you focus on business to succeed, but I look back on your bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. from the University of Mm -hmm. Iowa, you put down English, pre-law, and marketing, Mm -hmm. which means that obviously since then you have learned a lot about new areas maybe taking a journey that you weren't expecting. You mentioned a a book, the Multipliers book, but could you maybe talk a little bit about how you have taken those opportunities to learn, maybe a good experience that you've had with a mentor or something along those lines? Yeah, I probably fell victim to television glorification of law, and I'll I'll date myself. Um, There was a show called L.A. Law many, many years ago. And um, of course, being an attorney seemed very attractive, also because I had a lot of passion for criminal law, criminal justice, and and I, I really became fascinated with that at some point. I grew up in an environment where I had to support myself through college, and so I worked full-time while I was going to college. So my point is is that the time and the effort that I spent in college to prepare myself for what I thought was the career I was going to, to go down coincided with me spending time in a, in a job that was in retail sales, of course. And I worked for U.S. Cellular and a T-Mobile affiliate for a number of years. And it was during that time that I was at U.S. Cellular that I really found this passion for business. What was interesting for me was there was a, a woman that I worked with for a brief period of time who became a mentor and actually ironically set me up on the blind date with my husband, so she's responsible for much in my life, uh, who, who fascinated me because she had her law degree. She also had a PhD in something else that I'm forgetting at the moment. But she said to me, like, you could be 50 years old and completely reinvent your career. You could go back to college and go to med school and practice medicine, like as a doctor for... 10 years before you retired, if you wanted to, like if you really wanted to. And I think there is this fallacy that sometimes we 
believe that the choices that we make very young cannot be adjusted or modified based on what we find our strengths to be. And so to more specifically answer your question, as I was going, as I was going down this law path, I, I really started to ask myself why. You know, which again kind of comes full circle to my focus in, in some of the conversations that I have with some of the people that I, I mentor, which is why was I doing it? Was I doing it because it sounded cool? Probably a little bit. And did I find passion in it? And, and really what happened for me was through some of those conversations that I was having with either the managers I worked with or this individual was I wasn't passionate about it. I was doing it more because I thought that was the right thing to do. And so I decided to pause. I took my LSATs. I got accepted to the University of Iowa and UCLA Law. And I just said, I'm going to take a year off. And I guess here I am. Uh, I, I just kept going down the business path. But I was encouraged to not continue to explore a path that I didn't have the same level of passion for. Boy, I, th- I think that's so true. Mm-hmm. People lock themselves into things mm-hmm. unnecessarily all the time. Yeah, yeah, and it was, for me, it was also a a lesson in listening to the areas that I that sparked for me. You know, reading legal books was okay but when I engaged with people and I and 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 truthfully when I was selling people wireless phones I was helping people you know wireless at the time was a it was not commoditized the way that it is today but I was I was showing people a different way to communicate which was really exciting for me and I found that to be fulfilling to know that I was I was allowing people to connect with other people and I didn't think I was going to get that same level of fulfillment out of law. And I think I need to add a caveat that hopefully I'm not offending anyone who's in the legal profession. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, it's amazing listening to all the things that you've been through. It sounds like you've always kept a lot on your plate. And you've, whether it's by choice or by circumstance, you've always had a lot on your place. Mm-hmm. But one of your, the values you provided to us was balance. Mm-hmm. And I, I've found that as I've moved up in my career, the plate doesn't get bigger time doesn't get more but there there are more things demanding so how do you what are the areas that you really focus on and and then how do you start delineating those areas and are you successful with that yeah yeah that's a that's a great question so it's interesting for me because when when I went through my own personal values exercise a, a number of years ago I really debated on health because fitness and health is a very important part, and that's one of the legs of my three-legged stool, which I'll, I'll share with you on the, on the balance side here in a minute. And balance, this word balance, because health is very important to me, but it is one of the ways that I balance my life. And so I often refer to my three-legged stool as my professional vocation because uh, that is very important to me. I grew up with a working mom. My grandfather was actually president of the AFL-CIO in Mississippi for years, and both my mother and my grandfather were just passionate, um, dedicated to their professions. And so I always saw that as an important part of life. 
my family is obviously another part of that stool and then myself and how I recharge my batteries is that third leg. And that's everything from spirituality to fitness to solitude. I'm in a very extroverted role. I uh, travel quite a bit. I do a lot of dinners, a lot of public time, uh, but I recharge my batteries alone. A lot of time that is with exercise and that might be working out uh, at home. We are fortunate that we have access to a gym and so a lot of times I'll go in there on the weekends when nobody else is in there and work out. That is my meditation, my solitude, and that is part of my balance. And I can tell you when when I'm not feeling great about my leadership or being a good mom and and a good wife, it's usually because one of those legs of my stool is out of balance. And I can do it for a while, you know, if I have to go on an extended trip or a long period of time, but I know I've got to balance the rest of it to feel good. You know, Jessica, I've known you for quite a few years, and one of your values is authenticity. When I saw this as one of yours, I I knew it was true, because even just in our short conversation here, you haven't hesitated to reveal weaknesses you feel about Mm -hmm. yourself. You're, you're very transparent in that way. I think that's a really good tool, even though I think it's just natural for you to some degree, but for relating to people, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference because here you are the president and CEO of this very pioneering marketing company. That could be very intimidating mm-hmm. to many people, but because of your authenticity, I think people, after they visit with you for a while, they realize you're a human being. Right. One of the biggest challenges that I have is, and and it was ironic when you asked me what you should refer to me as, because I often just say, I'm just Jess. And that has dual meaning for me, because I am just Jess, you know, and I may have a title, but my, my desire is to lead an organization of creative problem solvers, so that we can help our clients succeed. And that to me, it looks like success and that, that to me looks like winning. And sometimes the title feels unnecessary, but I also have to take responsibility for the fact that I've, I've gotten here because I've worked really hard and I've focused on those things. Authenticity, it's a, it's important because I think, you know, if you're not authentic, you can only keep that up for a short period of time and at the end of the day people want to trust the person that is leading them and trust and authenticity are are hand in hand well jess you you're on my advisory board Mm -hmm. of course and you've been a key player on my advisory board because you helped us come up with our branding Mm -hmm. approach which has been extremely successful. I don't know if you've noticed how I big have. we've rolled it out. I have. It's wrapped on our elevator doors. Yep. It's all over our social media. Mm-hmm. It's And it was something that was bought into big time. Mm-hmm. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. The, the other thing that's interesting about the reason I'm bringing it up is because you talked about you're a company of creative problem solvers. And of course, you opened your company to us to utilize that and it really was very effective for us and then you and I presented to the chancellor and the provost and the other leaders 
And so it's it's taken a while. It's mm-hmm. taken persistence. Mm-hmm. And I'll mention this because I do think it's leadership related. And that is that, you know, we developed our values mm-hmm. as a college. Mm-hmm. We're talking about values. Mm-hmm. We developed our values as a college in the 90s. And I remember when we went through this mm-hmm. project. And we came up with excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. Now, they weren't in that order, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, we did eventually order them that way to have an acronym that was a word, EPIC. Back then, when we developed that, EPIC didn't have the same meaning it has today. Back then, it simply meant a long story with a hero or a long poem or something like this. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, it, it means great Mm -hmm. as well the combination of the two are phenomenal yeah you know but the other thing that's happened and and when you and I were working on this with your team and our team Mm -hmm. it didn't hit us until later that be epic Mm -hmm. which became our tagline Mm -hmm. was unusual because it's hard to find a company where the tagline and the values are connected. Absolutely, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very interesting. And and exciting, too, because to me what it does is drives action around what those values are. And I think that was what I think our team loved so much about working with it was while each of those letters stand for something, the idea of being epic is what those values collectively reflect. Yes. Which is fantastic. But you said you were... a company of creative problem solvers and I've witnessed it firsthand because you helped us with that but I've been around you and your company for quite a while and I've of course followed it Mm -hmm. because I also know a lot of people that work here Mm -hmm. because you hire our students thank you we do we do they're great appreciate that yep you know one of your other values here is humor Mm -hmm. and I remember when we were working on the branding Mm -hmm. There were lots of times we were all laughing. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you bring that into those situations where you're really you're on a time crunch, you're trying to get something yep. done? Well, first of all, I think humor is a powerful diffuser, and number one, and then I think it's also it's a great way to connect with people emotionally. Like when you think about some of the most memorable moments that you've had with your wife or your kids, there was probably an element of joy and happiness. And while you may not remember the laughter or the humor at the same level, there was probably an aspect of that that you can remember. You know, I can think to a a number of occasions where, you know, you're out with your friends and you laugh so hard your stomach hurts, you know, and... And, and the stories that are told and, the, again, that emotional, even the chemistry that happens in your body when you, when you laugh. And, and to me, that is, a, that is a connective element that creates a sense of community. And my husband will tell you I, I probably work too many hours out of habit, more, more so than the necessity. Uh, but I want to have fun while I do it. And I, I want to be able to laugh. And there are going to be times when we're going to be having really hard conversations, 
And I want to be able to diffuse that situation in a way that allows a little levity in a tough conversation. And that is not to make light of a difficult decision, but you still have to be able to chuckle along the way. And that's why, you know, we we joke a lot, you know, we're selling toilet paper, we're not, you know, curing a terrible disease. But what we're doing is we are creative problem solving and we should be able to have fun while we do that and laugh and I have a a core leadership team and I mean I'll say that in a two-hour meeting probably 15 minutes of that is us laughing giving each other a hard time about something being silly telling a story and to me that makes us closer to me that's one of the reasons that when they go home at night you know they get to say I mean I had fun at work today you know, and that to me is, is important for people to be able to say. And, and, and quite frankly, I think part of that drives to authenticity, right? Because you can laugh and you can enjoy yourself versus feeling like you have to put on a facade. A, a common theme that I've kind of seen weaved through all of these is, is similar to a quote that you gave in July of 2015. And the quote is, she sees a problem as a catalyst for ideas that can be game changers in the industry. And I love this concept because when people, at least when I see the word problem, Mm -hmm. I start getting immediately like walls start going up Mm -hmm. and I start like putting all the defense mechanisms in place. Mm -hmm. But could you just talk a little bit more about that quote? Because I I agree with it in in spirit, but in kind of the day-to-day life, sometimes it's hard to always be 100% behind. I think one of the reasons that I love learning is because, first of all, on this journey of life, I can't imagine a life where I I don't have the opportunity to learn. My favorite thing to do is when I'm sitting somewhere and I have extra time, and I've actually gotten away from this despite your coaching and recommendation, Matt, which is um, I I would normally, or I went through a period where I, I would get on social media. And I've since put all my social media apps into a folder Mm-hmm. I'm a big Cal Newport fan who's written deep work. He's an academic, so it will probably be a language you guys are, are, are more familiar <laughs> with than me. And I, my Kindle app is on my first screen. And so when I am sitting somewhere, I am just clicking it and getting in as much as, much as I can read. And so to me, part of what reading does and learning does is it gives me other ways to solve problems and you know, when you are in a leadership role, it is rare that you have someone that just walks by your office and says, hey, Jess, I have the best news to tell you. I don't need you to do anything. I just want to share some good news, okay? Rarely does that happen. Instead, what you actually get more of is, man, I have been working on this for a while. I have engaged this person, this person, this person. We are at a point where we don't know where to go from here and we need your help. Or we've gathered all this very complex information and you need to use data and art, you know, science and art to make a decision on it. And that decision is often, you know, a risky decision or something that is that has, you know, multiple ramifications. And so to me, part of what I'm excited about or what I love about problem solving is as a leader, that's that's what people need from you. That that is the exact thing that they they need from you and what what I love and what again kind of ties this all together in an, in an interesting way is part of what you do with problem solving is you're teaching 
It's this ecosystem of the learning, which helps you be a better problem solver, which allows you to teach others how to problem solve. And I find it just this amazing ecosystem so that sometime they're gonna be faced with a similar problem or a similar challenge. And ultimately they're going to have to solve that on their own um, through some of what we, we did together. And I will say that as a leader, um, one, of the, one of the things that I'm sure you've both been faced with is when you have to let someone learn that lesson on their own, and I had a, a situation a couple years ago where it was literally like I had a crystal ball and I could see what this person wanted to do. I had zero doubt in my mind what the outcome would be. And at that intersection, I had the choice to tell them what the outcome was going to be and prevent them from going down that road or let them go down that path, learn from it, and then we came back and we talked about it later. That, to me, also as a leader is those teaching moments and allowing people to fail and failure is one of those things that I try to embrace which is also hard as a leader but to me how you fail what you learn from it how you um, adjust is just as critical thank you so much awesome. Jess thank you very it was much really good yeah I hope it was helpful thank you for joining leadership web today we hope that you found insight and guidance on leadership tools from this interview. Please join Leadership Web in two weeks as we explore another leader's leadership journey. Also, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn by searching Leadership Web.